thought I'd do something different and open with a song. Um, let me know if you guys like that. Who can guess the name of the song, too? If you can guess the name of the song, DM me, message me. But let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to Your Money, Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Delano Sapporu, founder and financial advisor, New Street Advisors Group. It's past 12 a.m. here in New York. Just got off a meeting with a new client, and I have to make sure that I get the podcast recording in because I really think it's imperative that every week we're making sure people have something to listen to and something to learn from. So I actually got back from Omaha, was it a, a couple of days ago, yesterday actually, um, and I had a, you know, a great presentation there where I spoke to the student body, the Maverick Investment Club, about you know, career paths and, and how to, you know, how I went about it when I approached networking and getting into a certain career. Uh, so I thought that would be great to talk about for this podcast uh, for people out there that are, you know, maybe building their early career plan and want to hear from someone else and how they did it uh, for like for for purposes of, you know, advancing in your career, switching industries, um, going to business school, being an entrepreneur. Any of those sort of things uh, is something that I wanted to touch on today. Uh, so, you know, first thing is, you know, setting up your, your early career plan. The way I kind of look at it is, you know, you have to look at it as what you currently want to do. So you take inventory of like what really excites you, what your passion is. And if you're younger, you can explore a lot of different options, right? You can do internships, you can do job shadowing, you can take different routes, you can do a lot of research on the web and explore what you really, really want to do. And then when you figure it out, you have to set up the plan of how to get in your passion. So you figure out the plan. What do other people, if you look on LinkedIn, you see, all right, this is a job that I love to do. And this is a person that's doing it. What is their background? How did they get there? You have to figure out how to get to that passion and how to get to that goal that you really, really want. And then finally, once you get in that goal, how do you make sure you stay in that role, live comfortably, live a life that is, is really to the standards that you want, that you set forth for yourself? So when you think about exploring the careers, the big thing you want to look at is doing a lot of research. So for me, you know, um, and I don't care if they hear this now, when I was at other jobs, I was always thinking five years ahead. And, you know, I would be spending my time online researching, you know, okay, this is really not what I want to do. Then what is it that I want to do? Researching different areas, different areas of finance that I really found enjoyable. That's actually how I led myself into the job of being a founder and financial advisor now, because I saw an article on how easy it was to set up my own RIA firm. So you're really doing a lot of research and reading. That's going to lead you down a rabbit hole of information, which is good in this case, and helps you understand, you know, how you get into possibly what career you want. Next thing is to talking to people. I think this is a really good way. So if you do informational interviews, you reach out via LinkedIn, via any tie, whether it's alumni tie or, you know, minority group ties or anything. You can reach out to people and have that conversation, 15-minute conversation where you have good questions and ask them what they're doing how they got into it, best tips and practices for you, which will help you figure out, you know, help you solidify 
that career path that you're looking for. And then utilize recruiting platforms and different things is also good for younger folks or undergrads. That might be, you know, really good to do. To do. So my case study when it comes to exploration and exploring careers, as I mentioned, when I was, you know, sitting in a cube cold in Des Moines, Iowa, I knew that that was not the dead end for me and I wanted more. Um, and so I was actually, you know, always researching and looking on forums, looking at websites, and that's how I stumbled into investment banking. I had not known about investment banking prior to that. And when I, you know, found out about investment, I was like, how do you get into there? I was looking at, you know, different profiles online, looking at people LinkedIn. I saw, okay, they didn't do it out of undergrad. They went to business school and they went to a top business school and got into a structured recruiting process. So that's literally what I did to end up, you know, you know, get an opportunity in investment banking. And then, as I mentioned prior, after that, investment banking, obviously I wanted to make a move and have my own entity. I found out how, you know, I could simply, you know, create my business and help people through my financial advising um, services and, and figure out how I can create my own RA. And I did that as well. Um, so when you talk about landing the opportunity, as I kind of expressed to my wonderful um, UNO uh, friends and, and future alum, you know, Career and recruiting platforms, if you're an undergrad, you have to utilize any career recruiting platforms that you can to start your own business. So that's definitely something you want to look into. Um, you also want to utilize the, the uh, career center. The career center is, is something that will, they'll be able to help you. They'll give you tips and guidance. I think purposeful networking is also a second pillar and thing you want to look into. So making sure that you're, again, having those informational chats, talking to people that may be able to give you more insight, uh, going to networking events, shaking hands, doing that thing. I know it's sometimes for a lot of people, it's you know very cumbersome, but it is super helpful. And then differentiate yourself. So when you have these conversations with people, you know how does your story stand out from the crowd, uh, from the, the mix of everybody that is you know, going to these events, you want to make sure that you stand out um, and that your story is uh, something that the recruiter or the person that you're speaking to will remember when they call back and, and, and call back on this event. So those are some things to kind of think of. And the way I think of networking, again, we go back to the networking is, you know, I have templates and kind of when I do cold emails or cold reach out to people, I have kind of templates that I go off of based on, you know, who I'm speaking to or who I will be reaching out to and what my ask is. So you want to have the cold email, which will lead to hopefully a call, right? So the cold email will lead to an informational call where you can get the person an individual on the phone, ask questions, um, and really stand out and share your background, share your story. And this informational call can lead to an interview, which will, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully lead to, you know, internship offer, which can be translated into a full-time offer. Uh, so that's something to definitely keep in mind. Um, and for my own story, actually, you know, my case study on networking, I was, you know, through word of mouth, I found out about a program called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. So when I was, you know, commercial banking in Iowa, I found out what Management Leadership for Tomorrow, which helps um, minorities and folks get into top business school programs. So through MLT, I was able to go to a seminar, which where um, banks and different, you know, firms were holding, you know, interview sessions and they picked based on, you know, you submit your resume and they picked people that they wanted to interview. Uh, my, my resume actually wasn't chosen, but, you know, I waited around for the guy that was uh, from Credit Suisse that was doing the interviews and I ended up meeting him after explaining my background, giving my elevator pitch, and he invited me to do a first round call and then eventually go out to fly to New York for a super day and then get the offer. So, 
you know, the case study there for myself on networking is really one, be around, you know, to hustle um, and make sure that you're kind of putting yourself in the places and doing whatever it takes to kind of get in front of the person you need to get in front of. And that kind of leads to, you know, the good things in the end. Now, when you're talking about your elevator pitch, which I mentioned, which is kind of just explaining who you are, what you're passionate about, and why do you care, I kind of break it up into three W's, exactly as I explained before. Who you are, what's your passion, and why do they care? They meaning the company or whoever you're pitching to. So who you are is kind of your background. So for me, it's obviously you know former athlete, someone that's passionate about finance, um, that wants to be challenged. And what's your passion? My passion is you know finance and being an entrepreneur. So I love you know, helping people with their finances, helping people with their investment management. And I'm also love, I love being an entrepreneur. And then if I'm talking to someone, why do they care? It's if I talk to a client, why do you care? It's because I can help you, you know, with your personal finances, with your management. So when you're thinking about giving your elevator pitch to a company, or if you're, you know, talking to, if you're an entrepreneur and raising capital, these three W's are super crucial to keep in mind whenever you're pitching to people, because uh, it helps you formulate a good story that differentiates yourself uh, from the rest of the crew. And as I mentioned before, I think the one big pillar when it comes to, you know, career searching or, you know, doing any of those things is the hustle, right? You know, we can do a lot of these things, but, you know, as you hit a, if you hit a brick wall time and time again, are you able to continue to send out emails? Are you able to continue to have these calls? And are you able to kind of do whatever is necessary to get done your objective? And that's the one big intangible that a lot of people don't account for, and it's super, super critical and super important. So I think that's you know a, a good switch up of our finance roundtable, is talking about career um, and, and touching base on that. So please reach out to me if you have any questions about this. I love love to talk to people about it. Uh, we're switching it up. We did not talk about finance today. Um, I think we you know we'll, we'll touch on another topic for finance in the coming weeks, but I really think this is important and critical to touch on. And next up, we have Zach. Um, Zach is a guy I follow on Twitter, and Zach has some really, really great insights uh, when it comes to NFL and, and fi- NFL contracts. Um, he is a certified um, contract advisor, and Zach Moore knows um, a lot about what it comes when it comes down to you know, cap, salary caps um, for NFL teams and, and contract advising for NFL players. Um, Zach is an expert in that. He's he is an author. He's an author of a book that breaks that down in detail. And he was able and, and willing to join and call in and talk a little bit more about his expertise um, and answer some questions that hopefully will spread some insight for you football fans out there. I'm a big, you know, football guy. Um, I played football in college. And so, you know, I, I definitely work with um, athletes on my on myself. So I love to, you know, hear more insight on that. So hopefully you enjoy that, Zach, coming up next on the podcast. Your Money, Your Life podcast. I have a special guest with me today who is going to talk a little bit about NFL, contract advising, cap, salary cap, a lot about, you know, how personal finance has affected his life. But I have Zach Moore, who's kind of an expert in those areas. So, Zach, thanks for joining us. Hey, Delano, thank you for having me. I uh, always appreciate time to come on and talk to somebody about uh, of course. something I'm passionate we about. We connected because I saw on Twitter some of your tweets 
uh, really interesting. We're talking about, you know, salary caps and the different ways uh, in, in NFL, different positions where people were, you know, affecting salary caps. I just thought your content was really interesting. Uh, so I really wanted to connect with you and you're gracious enough to kind of, you know, answer that, answer that, uh, that call. So, you know, the first thing I want to dive in with you is, you know, being a young guy, you live in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. Austin, 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 Austin. Uh, tell me about, you know, your journey. So we're from how you got to Austin, your background. We'd love to hear more about that journey. Well, I played football at the University of Rhode Island, and then I got my um, my master's in entrepreneurship and marketing from Rutgers Business School. And then I just wanted to get out of New Jersey, uh, what was it, three three years ago um, now. And then I came down to Austin, and, um, you know, I've kind of made this home. And uh, it's kind of where I want to stay unless someone wants to give me a bunch of money to, like, be a general <laughs> manager or something like that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, this is this is Austin home. I, I actually uh, – my family uh, – my dad, my dad lives uh, north of Austin. My sister lives in San Antonio. She went to UT. Um, so, eventually, we'll get my mom down here as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I visited Austin once a year. Uh, as a kid. So uh, we'd come for a week in February and uh, it always kind of felt like a awesome place. So, you know, it's, it's where I am now and it's where everyone else is trying to come too. So we, we got, we got thousands of people coming in every day. Yeah. It's, so, it's actually uh, a really, you know, a hot spot for young professionals. Uh, it's a growing South by Southwest. If I'm not mistaken is in Austin and I definitely want to go to that. Um, so that's, that's actually wonderful. And then you mentioned, so now you actually have written, um, you're an author, uh, the Caponomics uh, book, which um, I had that on my reading list. Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, where was the impetus for you starting or to, to writing the book? And, you know, why kind of what was, you know, your reason for getting it out to, to readers? What did you want to get across to readers when you, when you decided to write that book? All right. So I, I think uh, last time we spoke, I kind of joked, joked around with you about this is that like, um, People don't really even read. So kind of like, so kind of the, kind of the whole point of uh, writing a book is so that everyone thinks that, uh, you, you, well, you know, you, you gain, yes. you gain a level of credibility and you gain a level yes. of expertise through doing so. And um, I'm friends with someone who left one top agent for another top agent um, because the second agent, the guy he left the first one for um, is, you know, to expressed to him basically a, a deep knowledge of contracts. And he was like, Oh, this is the guy I want to run uh, to manage my second contract because the second contracts yep. where you make the most money, right? If you, um, I, I don't want to name names on this one, but like there's one contract out there in a very expensive market that uh, an agent and a player agreed to that is about potentially six or $7 million less than, where his market value could have been on an average per year basis, where his market value could have been on um, uh, if he were to hit free agency. But, you know, he wanted to stay in the city he was in. And, you know, there's all this kind of stuff that that can that can influence a player to stay somewhere. But as an agent on a second contract, you've got to be like, hey, man, like this is how much is on the table in this situation. Right. And you need to be knowledgeable enough to like really be on top of every single contract that a player has uh, that, that a player that you're representing has. And, um, you know, to really essentially maximizing that deal is yeah. 
the biggest part of your job. So that's why I went out and I, and I, you know, kind of gained this, um, you know, this level of, uh, market, uh, you know, expertise and, and credibility so that when I do go in and I go recruit a player, um, you know, I sit, I sit across from him and I'm like, Hey, I'm young, but I, you know, I, I've also expressed to you too, is I'm, I'm in the process of trying to figure out which bigger firm that I'll work with, because that's kind of how the industry has become is that there's no longer, yeah. uh, the yeah. niche, a small firm, you know, you need the, you need the money for training, you need the money for recruiting and you need the money for the under the table payment type <laughs> of thing that everyone apparently does, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> man um but so like um so it's funny yeah sorry i got off track there but like you know you you want to get you um that second contract where all the money is so i want to be the guy that the player can be like hey man like you're you know i'm comfortable with this you're with a bigger agency i know you guys are going to take care of my marketing i know you guys are going to take care of all the other stuff um and you know i'm comfortable with you as my second contract so with with writing the book i'm in this position where i'm like you know, I, I, I feel credible and I, and I have that, you know, I, I have, I have, I've had good meetings with players where, where that, that, that yes. sales point. And works, that's a good you know? point. You mentioned, you know, where the industry is going. We're talking about NFL contract advisor, NFL agents, you know, there's payments, there's upfront, you know, for training, for, um, for travel, uh, for combine training. There's so much that goes into it that people really don't know where agents do. So I applaud the work that you guys put in. So talk to me about how, you know, finance or personal finance plays a part in this. You mentioned you may go to a bigger agency. That's because they will help and maybe have liquidity to front some of those things or maybe not. And so how do you look at it on a, you know, maybe a personal finance basis or a business finance basis when you, you know, kind of embark on this endeavor? Well, like, so I've been, I've been interested in the industry since I was in college. Um, I had some teammates who, you know, had an opportunity to go to the NFL and I started to see some of the agents who were around, right. And who were recruiting players. And I was like, man, all right, if that guy can do it, I can do <laughs> Side it. Side note, that's how um, I thought about you know, like, so, I want to help people, but I saw some other people and I was like, Hey, I could also do this as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be to be self-deprecating, I'm like, you know, I, I'm not that bright, but that guy's not that bright either. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, just, uh, you know, but, uh, but you know, jokes aside, it's, uh, you know, you see people doing it and you're like, I, I can do that too. You know, I'm, uh, I'm capable of that. And I, I know the industry, I'm a player and all that. And so I spent, you know, the last decade learning about this and watching people, watching a lot of people fail. Right. So a lot of people um, come and try to do the niche niche firm thing and the niche agency thing. And part of the issue with that and part of why, you know, the credibility that I could have being with someone who's uh, established is like, you know, they have um, the, the, the newcomers are really trying to find like that diamond in the rough. They're essentially trying to find like a sixth or seventh or an undrafted free agent. And it's not financially viable. It's not a financially viable situation in any way because they have to pay the training. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody who is like a preferred free agent type of player this year. And, you know, that, that's the kind of guy who is probably going to get a camp mm-hmm. invite when it all shakes out. Um, he it might get, be one of the last people cut mm-hmm. and you're not going to get paid for that guy. 
even if he's and we had this conversation uh before too is that even like a mm -hmm. like a seventh round pick right i was telling you about the math and it's like it's like you know you spend 10 grand on the guy or you spend 15 grand on the guy in his pre-draft process and then you're not getting the return on investment mm -hmm. until year two right and and you can't live off of that return on investment um so you know, I'm trying to, and I, that's, that's why I developed the skills that I have is because I want to mm. bypass that part of the process. I don't want to be playing a game that, um, is just not, not a, you know, I, I right. Yeah. I, like uh, we talk about the book, right. And you and I talked before this, I have, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a second edition of Caponomics, which is almost an entire rewrite because yeah. now I'm three years removed from that. Um, a bit better, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a much better writer. I have much more stuff I've learned in the time since I've released it. Um, I have all this good stuff. And um, with that, uh, I'm looking at analytics a lot, right? And analytics are essentially about like creating, uh, using data to figure out the highest probability situation for yourself. Uh, if you're like the it. general manager of a team, like how am I going to, right? How am I going to uh, use this data to maximize yeah. the return yeah. on my roster, right? and um, whether that's through the draft or free agency. And when I look at the agent industry is that like, you know, it, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a high probability thing to go after a late round pick, you know, and I, I, I know the math, like, you know, it's not like a math formula, but I know the general math of how that works. And, um, you know, you don't want to enter into that space um, as someone who's just throwing money at, low yeah. probability no, gambles that's a great, really great uh, point and that's kind of like you mentioned the analytics it's, i think daryl Morey is one of the the houston rockets gm is one of the people that's really behind that i mean nfl front I, you probably know better than me who's who's yeah. kind of driving the the analytics and nfl i think nfl is a little bit slower than the nba to kind of jump on that track but it's you know it's really really interesting bro um, bro daryl Morey. Oh my God. I, I, <laughs> that name, that name has so much to say, about yes. it, but we'll and continue. So, that's a good point. Like on the inside, it's tough. What about, you know, you, you're someone that strikes me as someone that, you know, not only cares about the craft of what you're doing and, and wanting to understand it, but helping the players. So, uh, you know, I went out to the Shrine Bowl. I have a couple of guys that I'm, you know, working with and I really want them to succeed on the financial advising aspect. When you, when you deal with players, like what can the players look out to, to, I mean, get away from maybe I wouldn't want to call them, you know, some of the bad actors, maybe in the agency world. Is there things that, you know, players should look forward to out for? I know you kind of do a great job of not only being a contract expert, but really helping and wanting to help the guys. What can like players look for on that, on that side of things? Well, my biggest concern with the industry is the, you know, the, the, the thing I was just joking about yeah. earlier is, is the money, right? Is, is, is that the industry is essentially, for a lot of these guys, especially for late round picks, it has essentially become who's going to give yeah. me the most money. Um, and rightfully so in some respects, right? Because, well, in most respects, really, because they just, a lot of these guys just spent four years not getting paid for something yeah, that yeah. people were profiting off of. Um, so, you know, uh, I, it, it's kind of the entire industry, um, you know, the entire industry is kind of, I went on this rant on, you know, I had this idea and I was just kind of throwing it out there and I put it all together and it was just like, like the whole industry, you know, first yeah. you don't get paid when you're in college. Then when you're on your rookie contract, 
You're on these slotted contracts that are far below the value that you're going to provide your organization. If Joe Burrow, as a first round, as a number one overall pick, if Joe Burrow becomes Patrick Mahomes, or let's just say Patrick Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes is already given that organization as the number 10 overall pick. It was 10 or 12. For some reason, I always get it mixed up in my mind. He might be 10 and Watson's 12, but whatever. Um, both those guys mm-hmm. are providing their organization. Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, $30 million worth of value, but they're in a position where they just ended their third mm-hmm. year of their contract. Both organizations knew these guys were elite players from you know yeah. the moment they stepped on the field, but they have to pay three, play three more years at a, yeah. at a heavily discounted rate. They have no grounds for, and this is you know part of my issue with the next CBA is that it, it, the, the players should essentially be able yeah. to renegotiate after a season. Um, you know, I, I know I'm being extreme when I say that because mm-hmm. that's never been done before, but um, you know the industry has all these people that are. Um, at the top of it, you know, making a bunch of money, like owners. And, you know, I, I, there's this book I'm reading, so- Soccernomics, and it's about soccer okay. and the economics of soccer. And these Premier League teams, the owners don't make a lot of money. Um, they essentially are owning the team because the valuation of the team keeps going up. So one day they'll be able to sell this team for a billion dollars mm-hmm. more than they bought it for. Um, and they also benefit all their other businesses benefit from their association with Manchester United or whatever. Right. Right. So, so I, the issue that I take in, in player contracts and all this is that, uh, they're, they're kind of, they've gotten screwed in college. They get screwed on their first contract and 60% of the NFL is made up of players in the first four years of their contract, which are all players that are on these rookie kind of deals. Um, so my biggest problem with that, and, and that kind of comes over to what, what the question you asked was that, um, um, the question you asked, which was, um, uh, yeah, so, can you repeat um, it one more time? More about, you know, the bad actors and, you know, how, you know, yeah. Bad actors. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that brings us back to where guys are essentially just going after who's going to yeah. give them the most money. Um, and it, it doesn't really lend yeah. itself to who's the most credible, who's the most, uh, who's the bet, who's the best person for you to align yourself with exactly. in a career partnership. So, that's, that's a good right. Point. So, um, and so kind of the last thing we want to touch with you on, this has been great, great information. I love it. What's new with you. So talk to us about the new book, um, anything new that you kind of have going to works. Um, I, I'm really excited for you as you know, you're such an expert. I'm excited for you in this ages world. I know you're going to kill it. So talk to us about the book, where people can find you on social and kind of your book, where they can you know get your book at on Amazon. Uh, you can buy Caponomics building Super Bowl champions available on Amazon. And if you would like like a signed copy or anything like that of the first edition, um, you know, I, I will, uh, anyone can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C-K, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, NFL. Um, so both of those, you can find me out there and I'll, I'm talking about, um, you know, contract stuff and, um, just, just link up with me and we'll figure out a way to get you guys a book. And, um, ne- uh, next on the horizon too, is just meetings with agents and just figuring out uh, who I want to partner with. Uh, I've got a few people I'm talking to and um, hopefully I find the right fit and hopefully it serves me well and serves my clients well. And just hopefully I get this thing well, off the ground, I'm you excited know, <laughs> for you. really repeated. This is great insight on the world of NFL professional sports, 
contract advising. This is something that's important for all people. You know, if you're dealing with any sort of contract advising, this is really important. So I really, really appreciate your time, Zach. Hell yeah. Thank you for having me. And always a pleasure to talk to you. Really, really great to connect last week. And uh, thanks for having me on.